the last thing I took up, at least I started on it, it means an endowment of power. I'm going to start from there this morning. To be spirit-filled means an endowment with power. You remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, our Lord could say, You shall receive power, the Spirit of God coming upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the life. Likewise, in uh, Luke chapter 24, from 46 on, where our Lord said, you're going to be my witnesses, but tarry at Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And the spiritual life is a life of power, supernatural power. May I say this? The Christian life is a supernatural life. It can't be imitated. The Spirit of God came to indwell you and me not only to give us life, but that we might be the channels to not only experience his life, but also his power to bear testimony for him. I've oftentimes said it's an inflow of life, an outflow of power. I mean, I'll repeat that statement. An inflow of life, which brings about an outflow of power. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, and our conviction is that the Word of God has never changed and never will. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to We will hear that the Christian life is a supernatural life with power to bear witness to the risen Savior. Following on from our last lesson concerning the meaning of being filled with the Spirit, we hear that it is a reproduction of the very life of Christ in the Christian, that is, in the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dr. Mitchell reiterates that being filled with the Spirit means an endowment of power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The spiritual life is a supernatural life which cannot be imitated. Now he speaks of the conditions for being filled with the Spirit of God. There is an adjustment to the will of God, and another one is the acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Master. Well, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and here Jesus is speaking to us, his disciples, and here is Dr. Mitchell on the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. We get back to the question of his spiritual life. And last, our last lesson, we were dealing what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. Allow me to repeat just briefly what we had in our last lesson. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means the enjoyment of divine life. It means to be under the Spirit's control. It's the yielded life. It's not optional. It's a command of God. Be ye filled with the Spirit. It means an abandonment to God so that our bodies might be used by Him. Indeed, it's the reproduction of the life of God in His people. Just think of it. 
At one time, you and I were far off without Christ, without hope, without God. And now we've been joined to him and he's left us down here that Christ himself might live out his life in you and in me. As I've oftentimes said, and I don't mind repeating it, when our Lord was upon the earth, if men want to know what God was like in his character, in his heart, in his love, in his compassion, in his grace, they saw it in Jesus. He's gone back to glory. He's on the throne. And the Spirit of God has come to indwell you and me for this purpose, that something of the life and character of God will be revealed in you and in me. We should be different from those out of Christ. And this is why the Spirit of God indwells us to do that job. Not only does he come to teach us and to guide us into all truth, but he comes to live through us. Being in Christ and Christ in us, this wonderful union, it's a marvelous thing. It means to walk in fellowship with him in his will. You know, our Savior, when he walked among men, there was no trace of self-will in our Savior. I always remind myself of that verse in, in John 8, 29, when he said, I do always the things that please him. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And I think of that verse in Hebrews chapter 12, the second verse. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And it means, I repeat it again, it means the enjoyment of divine life. The realization that God lives in you and God lives in me. Do you remember Jesus said, I will come to you and I'll be in you and you will be in me. And then I also declared it was the abundant life. There's no life comparable to it. A life lived in God, experienced and evidenced by the Spirit of God. And I say again, the flesh resists that every inch of the way. And the last thing I took up, at least I started on it, it means an endowment of power. I'm going to start from there this morning. To be spirit-filled means an endowment with power. You remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, our Lord could say, You shall receive power, the Spirit of God coming upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the life. Likewise, in uh, Luke chapter 24, from 46 on, where our Lord said, you're going to be my witnesses, but tarry at Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And the spiritual life is a life of power, supernatural power. May I say this? The Christian life is a supernatural life. It can't be imitated. The Spirit of God came to indwell you and me not only to give us life, but that we might be the channels to not only experience his life, but also his power to bear testimony for him. I've oftentimes said it's an inflow of life, an outflow of power. I mean, I'll repeat that statement. An inflow of life, 
which brings about an outflow of power. You remember in Ephesians chapter 1, 19, down through 21, when the Apostle Paul prayed in chapter 1 of Ephesians, he's praying for knowledge. And the third thing he prayed for was that you might experience the exceeding greatness of his power, that power which, he was, manif which was manifested in the resurrection from the dead and to be exalted in the heavenlies above everything. I'm not surprised then when I come to Philippians 2. Every knee is going to bow before him in heaven, earth, and hell and acclaim him to be Lord and Master. Remember that. Now the same thing in Colossians 1.29, I strive according to the working of him who worketh in me mightily. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down every imagination of all evil, even in your thoughts. And then I closed last week with Romans chapter 8, verses 9 to 11, where you have the Spirit of God indwelling us, the power that raised Christ from the dead will also make alive our mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Now let me just say one or two more wings about that and I'm going to go on. At regeneration, when we were saved, there was a change. A new life was given. We were baptized by the spirit, indwelt by the spirit, sealed by the spirit, born of the spirit. It speaks of life, of union, of preservation, of assurance, and so on. But now, a process is taking place. The spirit-filled life is a process. It's a, a, a daily thing of being continually filled with the Spirit of God. And this depends upon fellowship and obedience. Let me get this into your heart. It's so easy to talk about being spirit-filled, but it depends upon fellowship with him, which will be manifested by obedience. Like you have, for example, in John 14, uh, 21 and 23. <clears throat> he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And my Father will love him. We come and dwell, make our, uh, and reveal ourselves unto him. In verse 23, if a man love me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come and sup with him. Intimate fellowship. See, obedience and fellowship, you can't, you can't divide them. If I'm walking in fellowship with him, it'll be evident by obedience. If I'm obedient to him, then I'll be walking in fellowship with him. You can't separate them. The question is, am I going to be obedient? Or do I want my own way? As I said, when our Savior walked the earth, there was no sign of any self, no selfishness of any kind or self-will or self-desire. It was all God. All he wanted was God. His will and purpose be accomplished in him. And that's true for you and me. That's why we take that verse in Ephesians 5 to remember, be not drunk with wine, but be continually filled with the Spirit of God. And may I suggest this, that the early church had power to witness, had power to preach, had power to sacrifice, and may I add, had power to suffer. 
Amazing thing. All right. Now we go to the next one. The conditions to be filled. We start now. The conditions to be filled. There are conditions. No question about that. Spiritual life depends upon our cooperation with God. It's an amazing thing when you think of it. Holy angels never sin. They always do his bidding. And yet we are the children of God. They are the servants of God. He made us his children. Wonderful relationship. And how we need to be obedient to our loving Father to glorify him. Now, there are conditions to be filled. I've been saying, and I repeat it again, it means an adjustment to the will of God. I'm talking about a spirit-filled life means an adjustment to the will of God. Now, the first thing that I'm going to bring up, and I mentioned it, I think, before. And I don't mind repeating it. The first thing I'm going to put down is we acknowledge Jesus Christ is our Lord and Master. We acknowledge him as our Lord and Master. Now, I'm going to be a little technical for a moment. There are five words used about our Savior as he walked among men. For example, he was called Rabbi. Now, that's the Aramaic for teacher. This is the relationship between a teacher and a student. Rabbi. They call Jesus Rabbi. And in Luke's gospel, they call him didaskalos. Now, it's a Greek word for the same thing. A didaskalos is a teacher, a Greek, Greek word for teacher and student. And then the third one is only used by Luke. The word is epist epista, epistata, epistata, excuse me, I'll get it right, epistata, E-P-I-S-T-A-T-A, -A. if you want it, E-P-I-S-T-A-T-A. Do you want me to, to uh, spell out the daskalos for you? Oh, huh? Yeah. And then you can tell the teacher you know some Greek. All right. D-I-D-D-I-D-A-S-K-A-L-O-U. D-I-D-A-S-K-A-L-O-U. Didaskalos. L-O-S, pardon me, L-O-S. Now, the, the fourth one is a common word all through the New Testament, the word for Lord, kurios, K-U-R-I-O-S, kurios, which means Lord. For example, Romans 10 and 9. What's Romans 10 and 9? Anybody know Romans 10 and 9? Put your hand up. What is it? If thou should confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I'm reading, I'm quoting the two verses, by the way. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Now, this is not, he's not talking here about him being the Lord of your life. He's talking about his position. He's now Lord and Master. This is the great theme through your book of Acts. God raised him from the dead and exalted him to his own right hand to be Lord. Master. See. That's the common word for, for Lord. Now the last one. 
despot, other, which we get our English word despot. D-E-S-P-O-T-A. D-E-S-P-O-T-A, despota, from which we get our English word despot. And this is the relationship between a master and a slave. For example, Paul could say in Romans 1.1, Paul, a born slave of Jesus Christ. Is he your master? He says, my Lord, I'm asking, is he your master? You his bond slave. Paul could say in Galatians 6, trouble me not. I bear my body, the marks of my master. Marks of the Lord Jesus, just like a slave in Paul's day carried the marks of his master. He was marked. When a man bought a slave, he marked him. Wherever that fellow went, everybody knew he was the slave of so-and-so. Our Lord bore on his body the marks. Paul did, pardon me. If you want those scriptures, I'll be glad to give them to you. There are not very many of them. In Luke chapter 2, if you take the whole passage, 25 to 32, I'm not going to do it, where uh, Simeon went into the temple when Mary and Joseph brought in Jesus when he was a baby to do according to the law. Simeon took him up in his arms. Now, if you take the three verses before that, you have where Simeon uh, was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God was upon him. He was taught by the Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit into the temple. He picked up the baby in his arms. If I may quote the King James Version, he said, Now, Lord, let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Now, if I give you the literal of that verse, it's this. And now, despota, master, release your bond slave according to your word. Isn't that a nice way to look at death? Release me, Lord, according to your word. God grant that you and I will have something of that same experience the Lord will be indeed our master. Then you find it in, in Acts chapter 4. I'll just give you the verses. Acts chapter 4, 24. This is where after the first opposition to the gospel, they went back, the disciples went back to the upper room with the other disciples and they had a prayer meeting and they called him Despota. In 2 Timothy 2, 21. 2 Timothy 2, 21. They take verse 20 in a, in a house, there are many vessels, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man purge himself from these vessels of dishonor, he shall be a vessel meet for the master's use. A vessel fit for the master's use. It's the only time where it's really translated in the English Bible is master. And that's uh, 2 Timothy 2, 21. Jude, verse 4. Uh, I'll give you the literal there. They just talking about these false teachers, by the way. They denied the only master, even our Lord Jesus Christ. They denied the only master, even our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. The souls under the altar said, O Lord, how long shall will you not avenge our blood upon the earth? You remember that? And the word there is master, despota. 
It's uh, very careful how you use it. We put in brackets also. If you put this in brackets, Second, Second Peter chapter 2, the first verse, and this also deals with false teachers. They deny the master who bought them. Jude, by the way, the book of Jude and Second Peter 2, uh, parallel passages. The critics declare that Jude swiped it from Peter, and they say, others say Peter swiped it from Jude. <laughs> now it's a, uh, the Spirit of God gives to us in Jude the doctrine and the life of these false teachers. Whereas in Second Peter, when he talks about these false teachers, if God spared not the old world and the flood came, if God spared not the angels that sinned, if God spared not Sodom and Gomorrah, you think God's going to spare these false teachers? I don't want to go into Second Peter chapter 2. I just mentioned it to you. All right. The second thing I want to take, the second condition to be filled, we acknowledge our union with the Savior. We acknowledge our union with Christ. Now, if you open your Bibles, instead of me quoting all these verses, uh, chapter 3, chapter 3 of Colossians. And I want to read the first four verses. And you have a past and the present and the future. Look at it. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affection upon things above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Now, let me ask you a question. But you all may say, we're talking about our union with Christ, that is, the risen, glorified Christ. Our union with him took place after resurrection. Apollos says, if you then be risen with Christ, tell me, what kind of folks, are, uh, how many, what kind of folk rise? You've never experienced resurrection. You haven't died yet. If you've been raised from the dead, then you what? You've gone through death. So verse 3 says what? He answers the question. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Takes dead people to rise. We were crucified with him. Galatians 2.20, you all know that verse. For we were crucified with him. The preceding verse, verse 19, which you don't know, and you don't know verse 21, but you know verse 20. Do you all know verse 20, Galatians 2.20? All right, say it with me. For I was, come on together. For I was crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now that's the answer of a question. But what's the question? Verse 19, where Paul says, I through the law am dead to the law in order that I might live unto God. Well, Paul, when did you die to the law? I was crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me 
gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ died in vain. Tomorrow he comes for me. He comes, he comes. Tomorrow he comes for me. He comes, tomorrow he comes for me. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.